1: Welcome to the White Towel Podcast, where we discuss all things Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I'm Paul Chapman, joined by Ed Willis. We will get to that in a second. I'd just like to tell you to subscribe to the White Towel through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating. You get our wonderful news here every week. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the draft lottery. We'll put the season under the microscope a little bit, look at the front office, free agents, what we can expect for next year with Ed in a minute. But I did want to help out our good friends over at BC Children's Hospital. So, You can join Vancouver Canuck and Jeans Day Ambassador Brock Besser in supporting BC Children's Hospital if you buy a button and jean up in support of BC's kids on Thursday, May 2nd. More at jeansday.ca. And Ed, as we talk about the season, I'm not sure if uh, Victor Soderstrom will be at Jeans Day next year for the Vancouver Canucks, but that is the guy, the defenseman, obviously Swedish, who's uh, ranked as the number 10 player in the draft, I don't know what people were expecting yesterday. I know it was only a 5% chance. Does it really matter that the Canucks dropped from 9 to 10? Can they still get a good player here? It would have been a stroke of genius to move up and get Quinn Hughes' brother. I know that. But honestly, isn't this about right?
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I, I took yesterday off. because um, One of the reasons was we had our uh, 38th annual playoff draft. Uh started when we were young idiots and now we're old idiots uh but but it's still it's a it, it's a great night which also explains my whiskey voice uh, th- this this morning um I was almost I, I felt guilty. I go I, I was thinking, you know, what if they what if they land the number one spot and I don't have anything in the paper tomorrow? What if that happens? That's or a, online. Th- that's a really or bad thing. So, yeah, th- <laughs> th- thank you, Paul. <laughs> Do we have an online presence? you say yeah, yeah, I've been missing that over the years. Um and uh, and and then I like, I thought about it for about fifteen seconds and then I just kinda started to laugh. Yeah, like the Canucks are gonna win this thing too. And then I watched it unfold and predictably they actually he moved down one, So, uh, yeah, no, it's it, it's funny. I was just, uh, I was uh, li- listening to Shane Malloy, who's got a scouting show on the way up, and he was talking about the tiers in the draft, and it's basically a two-man draft at the top, uh, Capo and, and, and Jack Hughes. And then he says, oh, there's a, another group of about six through seven, and then it drops off after that, and so I'm doing the math. <laughs> huh? Okay, right. the Canucks will have... We'll have the first pick of the third tier. tier. That is awesome. No, there's some interesting players there, and there's always a surprise in in the first round. So I think that somebody will fall to them. They're not going to fall like from Bowen Byram is going to be long gone. But there's some interesting kids on that U.S. development uh, team. Uh, The the Swedish defenseman you talked about, uh, a couple of Western leaguers. So, you know, they're going to probably come out of this with a real – well, not probably. They will come out of this with a decent
1: prospect. Well, I think that that's it, though. I mean, if you go back to Pedersen's draft, people at that time were saying it was a two-person draft and then there was a drop-off. That's right. And you look at, you know, I think universally people would take Pedersen first – uh, and now we'll and, the and that pick that. wasn't
0: universally embraced either, like, no. especially when Elias showed up with his uh, with his manly physique at the draft. This is our first rounder, and yeah. it's kind of kind of kind of rewritten that story. The
1: one thing I will say though is I think that I mean as we talk about odds, you know, it's so amplified to try and find a franchise player at ten even versus five. Yeah, and if you look back over the last. I think I think people were showing, like, the last 10, 12 drafts. If you look at the 10th pick overall, yeah, there's some very good players in there. I don't think that there's a franchise changer. Like, if you're looking for another piece, like, if you're looking for another... I hate to put you in this category. Everyone is, though. After what we've seen, we can talk about that. But if you're looking for a Pedersen at 10, I don't know that you find it. But that is where you found Bo Horvat. You yeah. got Besser, certainly, into the 20s. So, I mean, not all is lost, but it would be exceptional luck, would it not? Yeah, no, very, very, very,
0: very, very rarely. Timo Solani went 10th to the Winnipeg Jets in 1988, I can tell you that. I've studied the draft. I haven't as much recently, but like from about 95 to uh, 2010, I looked at it, and, and there is a marked difference between picking in the top five and picking five to 10 top 5 you basically have an 80% chance of a landing an impact player 5 to 10 it drops off i think it's in the 67% range in there so they would they should get a piece um whether or not it'll be the piece is, is doubtful but you know it was funny i was thinking about this you know thinking about like um really really good teams even Stanley Cup winners they kind of had this have this progression where you know they accumulate uh, elite picks, picks in the top five, and then and then they kind of land that one that nobody's expecting, and and the most obvious example of that is is the New York Islanders assembled their core with, with 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 Denny Podfan and Trache and Gillies, and you know they'd kind of made a move forward, and then they 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 landed Mike Boston. I can't remember exactly where he went, but it was around fifteen. And that's what put them over the top, and that there have been other examples of well, that over the years. So I mean, if they, you know, they've kind of got this group together, and let's just say Matthew Baldy, the kid from the development team, falls, and that everybody loves, and there's kind of he's kind of been, uh, he's risen a little bit, but he he at the start of the season there was a, uh, some questions about him. Say they get him, or they get the Cole Caulfield kid, who's like five foot one. But he's a scoring machine, you know. It, 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 you add him to the to the nucleus, now, and now all of a sudden you start thinking, boy, geez, they really have something here.
1: Um, you're right. you're so right about that. If c- people will point to, uh, you know, the L.A. Kings or or the Chicago Blackhawks and how they became Stanley Cup winners because of the draft. Um, and certainly, yeah, if you look at Kane and Taves, high picks Mm. came close together, but if you don't get Seabrook or Keith who come, I mean, Keith wasn't even in the first round. If you don't get those pieces uh, along with all those other compliments. And that's, I guess that's where it's down to Jim Benning as a super scout, as he, everyone keeps telling us that it is finding those with maybe with a later first round pick with second round picks, uh, get the third a third or fourth or even a bigger surprise in there um let me ask you this though and I think that the again where because we want fireworks 10 is probably almost the worst place the Canucks could land because if they get five or four you're kind of thinking well, does he make a big splash and move up for one there's no way that I, I don't think to move up from 10 to not even to to one or two, to move up from anywhere from 10 to five, they don't have the pieces to do that, do they? Because people will be asking for one of their core players Exactly.
0: Then the cost would be prohibitive. I think with their progression now, they hang on to the pick, take him, hang on to the second round pick, take him. It's unfortunate this has happened with the draft in Vancouver, because I know the organization's goal was to make a big splash, Uh, you know, to have that kind of, you know, electric moment where we have a deal to announce and the place goes crazy or, or they draft both. Owen Byram, you know the, the 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 local kid or the kid with ties at least. I remember the draft in Ottawa, and it was it wasn't it was kind of it was a, it was an interesting enough draft. But like the, the this is the years where the Senators were good, and they announced they make this trade. You know the, I can't remember who it was with, but they moved up in the first round. They take Eric Carlson, um, and and that was a really cool moment. So you know I I think in a perfect world the Canucks would like to have that. It just it just doesn't seem to be in the cards for them this year. Well,
1: you never know with a tenth pick, Paul. Uh, you never know. No, Gary Bettman could <laughs> stroll to the microphone and say, "Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Francesco Acquolina has let me know we have a deal." When you're leaving the arena, there will be Lyft and Uber there available for you to take. I mean, with that it could happen, and you could still make a splash. Um, but while we've been talking about uh, Benning and drafts and trades and free agency and everything else. Um, I know we've talked about this a lot on this on this podcast, but as we assess the season now, uh, you know, we had a lot of free agent signings. How do you think that played out? Uh, for one, and two, you know, trades weren't maybe what people desired. But how do you assess the general manager's performance from the year, or the front office as a whole? Um, Probably on balance. And again, with the Canucks, you're
0: always stuck with this question, you know, compared to their own ineptitude or compared to the rest of the NHL. But I think top to bottom, when you look at the moves, I think Benning probably grades out quite positively this year. Uh, the, the free agents are kind of, the, you know, they, they are what they are. Um, it's it is the, what it is. Yeah, th- thank you. <laughs> it was I was more grammatically cor- <laughs> cor- cor- correct. However, um, they the, the, they were looking for deaf players, they were looking for character to, uh, veterans yada yada yada. We, we we can circle back to that, but but I look at, you know, the two trades he made. Uh, or two of the trades he made, the the Josh Levo trade looks like looks like a, at least a stand up double for the organization. And the same with Tanner Pearson. These guys all of a sudden emerge as really key pieces in the puzzle moving forward because, you know, Benning said it's his goal to land a top six uh, forward in free agency uh, this year. But if Levo and Pearson are both 20-goal scorers, and then you look at the three young building blocks they have, and then you add an impactful top six forward, now all of a sudden, again, we're kind of in that, geez, have they got something here? So, So those are good deals. Then you add Quinn Hughes. Uh, in, in into the mix, I think you know that's that's. I think that's a home run for the organization. Jet Wu had a good year. Tyler Madden had a good year. So on balance, I know you know it wasn't really reflective in the stands, but even then, they inc- would they improved by was it nine points, eight or nine points, uh, this year over last. So again, yeah, but how many of those
1: came after at the end, which ruined their draft lottery <laughs>
0: <laughs> again. Again, it's it's not marked against the strictest standard, but, yeah. but by and large, it, it, taken in isolation this year, I think Benning
1: gets a passing grade. So, I you know, I see this a lot where the franchise is. I see a real split um, and hear a real split, both from feedback to us, social media, whether you put any stock in in talk radio, um, where there are people who say, yeah, this was a good season. This was a step forward. Pedersen was better than we thought he'd be. Markstrom certainly found his feet. You know, you introduce Quinn Hughes. Looks like he's ready right out of the box next year, and then I see other people going, "Look, you missed the playoffs again, four years in a row." You know, and and again, this is the this is the misfortune of the draft lottery is if you end up with the first or second, you're hoping maybe a guy can step in and right away. You know, I would suggest, as we've already kind of covered, whoever they choose is probably at least two seasons away, at least. So, you know, where do you sit on this? Is I mean, yes, you can say that this season if you go back to September is probably a success, et cetera, et cetera. But, I mean, there's no more moral victories. Is that this team has to make the playoff step next year?
0: It, it depends on how wide uh, the lens is. You, you look at that. And if you look over the last four years, then this is kind of just more of the same, right? You know, maybe a few happier store a few more happy stories. Uh, to talk about but and when you look when you're judging the Benning administration I think you have to look at the totality of the last four years and ask why isn't this organization farther ahead and why have they diddled around with so many middle-of-the-road free agents that haven't had any effect on the bottom line and why is there still so much clutter on both the NHL roster and the reserve list I think all those points are completely valid now, where am I going with this? Cause I, I I think, it...
1: <laughs> I, no, I think where you're going with it is we are. This I'm is sorry. a stereotypical yeah, okay. half half glass of water. Is there?
0: Yeah. From which side do you see on it? No, okay, so so there's that, and and, and I thought it was really instructive. Where you know both Benning and Travis Green contorted themselves into knots at that last presser to avoid that we we think we are ready to challenge for a playoff spot, or I think we are going to be a playoff spot a playoff team in two years. It was there was this vague. We're looking to make another step. We're looking to improve ourselves. I'm not sure if that's what people want to hear. Uh, irrespective of that, next next year, it's I I just think this. team has to be judged by wins and losses next year. I've been saying it probably for about three or four years. The clock starts ticking on this team January 1st, 2020. And that's that'll be about the midway point in, in this next season. But I just don't think they can sell another. Well, I know we didn't make the playoffs, but... Uh, we were
1: five points better. Look
0: yeah. at uh, Yeah, and, and look at this guy we brought up from the American colleges who looks like he might be at play. And look at the year this guy had in junior and I, I I just don't think that washes anymore. And, and I thought it was a little tone deaf of both Green and Benning to try and spin that story. I understand why they did it. But to me, they had to come out with something just a little more powerful and, and, and a little more direct in, in what they expect from their team next year.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's it. You can be afraid of having your words shoved down your throat because we all know that. This time next year, we could well be hearing. If it wasn't for all the injuries, we'd be a playoff team, right? Which is, I mean, we hear that over and over and yeah. over again. Yet they've actually been pretty good in not losing. Like a, I mean, Edler obviously, but that's almost a given. But they haven't lost. They haven't. They ha- they didn't lose a star this year for an extended period yeah. of time. I mean, Patterson obviously missed a few games early on, but. um I think it's more the the grind and the toll overall, and their lack of depth to fill those spots. than, you know, if if your if your starting goalie goes down and is out for the year, that's a little bit tougher to deal with. But again, for purposes of a season end, we've kicked this around. Um, blue line, uh, top six scoring wingers to play with Horvat. What's your number one priority that he has to solve? Well,
0: it it, it it's to do with the cost, right? Yeah. Obviously um I, I just I did just, I just the high end free agent defensemen are starting with Carlson, going to Tyler Myers, going to Jake Gardner. they're just too risky for me for what it's going to cost to bring them in. and you know for what the Canucks have under contract and it, this is assuming of course they they, they sign Adler and I, I, I am sure that that's going to get done. i I don't see where the trade off is worth the risk. So on that basis, for me, the number one priority should be a top six winger. And we've talked about this before, that, you know, the the, the highest end is uh, Artemi Panarin, and he's kind of in a class by himself. And then there's a group with Jeff Skinner. Uh, depending on how you view Anders Lee, and you, boy, the numbers suggest he is elite. Or Matt Duchesne, and then there's another group where you might be looking at Ryan Zingle, or you might be looking at Michael Furland, whose name has been attached with the Canucks in the past. So I'm not sure where. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're kind of in that furland Zingle camp. Something you could get five to six million, uh, you know, in a in a five-year deal. I don't think they're, you know, it's not going to be a max deal, and it's not going to be something that uh, you know locks them in. So I I think that's where they're going with this. And then the other intriguing uh, development for Canucks fans is the trade front. Because if Benning Benning says he wants to go out and get a defenseman, well, the only way to do that is with a trade. And their most marketable piece is Jake Vertanen. Um, Again, you connect the dots there, and that's what
1: I come up with at least. You realize that we feel we're shouting into the wind sometimes here, but someone is going to take, like, Eight words that you just said and put them out on Twitter. Ed Willis is okay with the Canucks
0: blue line as it is. Well, no, it's a matter of fact, it did come out. I, know, and I, I had saw to, that. And, and I had to explain the context. And it's and, You'd be and, like, hey, and it at was, least someone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, that that was it too. which is also what happened last time. But however, we, we need not revisit that. No, no, and that, that and that's what I say. I don't think you can take it, take these things out of isolation and and say, okay, here's the need. How are they going to fill it? Well, it's, it's not that easy. It's it, it's what's the cost of filling it and what's available and you know, what are the laws of supply and demand and all, all these other factors, not, not not the least of which are, what are the other 30 teams in the NHL going to do? So, again, really interesting off-season for the Canucks. And the other one, the other aspect of this is uh, Jim Benning has one year left on his contract. Are they going to extend him? Are they going to let him go through the year Is you know, basically a lame-duck GM? That's,
1: you know... That's that's a pretty big one. I would be shocked if they did either, and I think it's going to be something that would come mid-season, depending on how the team gets off to a start. Don't you think?
0: Yeah, it could be. It could be. only de- Benning has. A well, ton of it options. also
1: depends. It also depends
0: on you know the ownership's vision for what this organization is going to look like, and uh, again, what at the risk it? of <laughs> repeating ourselves, <laughs> that is an inexact science. Um, but uh, yeah, to me, you know, well, let's get into that because, because to me. The, the, that might be the biggest question. It's it's not like who they're gonna draft at ten and how is Cole Lynn developing. It's what does this organiz what is this organization going to look like? Who's gonna head it up? Who are gonna be the key decision makers? Are they committed to this Benning Wise broad uh nexus at, at, at the top of the hockey operations or did they go out and get that hockey overlord and kind of return to the structure that they had with Trevor Lennon which is kind of the structure favoured by most of the NHL now where you have like the three top executives at the top of your hockey department and then you have a lot more resources in, in, in player development uh, than the Canucks have uh, invested. I, to me this organisation is is crying out for a massive renovation and that's something i would like to see i, I just yeah it, it, when, when you're talking about this brave new world and this new era of canucks and we're going to do things differently and then you look at the way the organization is structured it just doesn't add up so it,
1: it, i know and i know patrick uh, johnson has uh, something planned for later in the week in terms of and i know you've written about it before about the front office and you know vacancies not filled um whether it's scouting president Assistant to the special advisor, council whatever, and and again, as you talked about, when I mean, we saw in Toronto in particular, to laughable yeah. the amount of guys that it's they awesome. had. Yeah. You know, like go back to Cliff. Fly, I think Pat Quinn still has an honorary role in their front office. Obviously, uh, lamorello moved on, but they had so many hockey brains in there. For the Canucks to to let this happen, has it been a power based vacuum in there that? Um, decision makers want more power or has it been a financial thing that they didn't want to replace at a cost? I,
0: I think it's a, a, little, a little of both. And, you know, it, it's kind of hard to know
1: for sure uh,
0: because they're not exactly an open book uh, uh, about these things. But I have to believe the way things are structured now is the way ownership wants it and likes it. And there is now a direct pipeline between Francesco Aquilini and Jim Benning, and that really wasn't the case when Trevor Linden was there. Uh, Trevor referred to himself as, I can't use the colorful colloquialism. Well, no, I can. What the hell is it? Referred to himself as the shit screen for the organization. And now that's removed. So now it's now. Was that on his business card? This this, this is the shit. Uh, why did I say that? I can just see that one coming back. However, no, but 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 I think it's I I I, I think I think that I think that was revealing, and absolutely. Now, and and now so but but that, that's it. So so now that you 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 know you've lost this position. I assume they're still paying a salary, but you've lost this position. You you've got you know Benning and Wisebrough seem to be happy with it. They really only answered ownership. They're running the show. They're the ones that make the decisions. Um, I thought it was also interesting the way Doug Jarvis's role uh, evolved, and it was it was funny. I went back over it, and it was it was one of it was probably two lines in a press release over the summer that he was going to take on this new role as the senior advisor consultant dude, uh, who you know rolls around, and he's kind of so he's the guy. He's I, I I think he's he he has a fair bit of I know he has a fair bit of influence with Benning. As a matter of fact, and I, I wonder about Stan Smeal's r- role going forward. So again, lots of questions about about the organization and the way it's structured, who will
1: make the decisions, et cetera. I think that's huge, uh, personally, and and you know it's this whole thing: do you wait to fail again? But with this being such a big offseason, with having money to spend, and with having, I mean, we're not looking for depth players anymore, as as we've talked about. Mm. You're looking for an impact defenseman. You're looking for a top six forward those are very big organizational decisions that you need to complement the stars that you the young stars that you've got under contract now at a at a you know a decent rate. So these are massive decisions. I mean is it clear to say that probably since that 2011 cup team this is the biggest off-season this team has had?
0: Yeah, no, maybe. I mean I'm not sure because like like to me they've done a lot of the heavy lifting and that presupposes they they you know they're ready to win. And, and I think they're ready to compete for a playoff spot. And if they get these moves right and, and the world unfolds in the perfect Vancouver, according to the perfect Canucks script, then it's conceivable they might make the playoffs. Not probable, but it's conceivable you, you you could make that case. So when I think of the table stakes going back, you know, when they had these, you know, two Hall of Fame players, the Sedins, and they had a Hall of Fame goalie and they had other pieces. And the question was, how how can we extend this? Through 12, 13, 14, and then you know the bottom fell out, and we we know what happened next. So, I I, I think yes, it's yes it's a, yes it's important. I I don't see them taking a step backwards. To you, do do you see this kind of all going wrong? Some unless there's some crazy, crazier injury bug, but but I, I I don't see this kind of coming off the rails.
1: I think the question is, do they improve a little bit or do they improve a lot? I you know. Personally, you're the expert, not me, but eh. I, I I, do look at this and I go, no, I, I see them. When you look at their young players, I see them taking a step forward. But at the same time, I mean, if Markstrom regresses and Demko pro- or gets uh, like a serious injury and proves himself not ready, um, while everyone's like enamored with Quinn Hughes, there's a defensive element to his game at his size that he's going to have to learn. Obviously, you know, the stuff about the power play, all that stuff can be tiresome when you get into it. Look, he's a great offensive player. Um, we saw Pedersen hit a wall the last 20 games of the season, sure. regardless of what he says. So, uh, you know, I think all things trend forward, but that's the way this team has been going, even if they've been baby steps. And I don't think it would be that unnatural to have, if not uh, a hiccup, maybe a little bit of stagnation before you take another step. But I don't think that's acceptable to the fans um certainly won't be to the media because if they're not it's like firmly entrenched in a playoff position next year I think there there have to be job shed and then you start going yeah. down to Travis Green and is he the right guy mm-hmm. and on and on but you know let's get into the talk about some of the players and and um you know Vertanen's the interesting one and I did laugh yesterday prior to them getting the 10th pick because it's the old as we everyone jokes about Ballard Raymond in a second um You know, now it's Vertanen is this fantastic prospect that people would definitely, you know, you know, the New Jersey Devils would be stupid not to take, you know, swap, give him the 10th pick, give him Vertanen and maybe throw on you a levy in a second and that'll get you up to first. It won't, right? I mean, it just won't. And this is the thing for Jake Vertanen. You saw him a lot this year. I think the frustrating thing with him is you see games, you see plays where you go, he he could be an elite player but then he won't score for 11 games mm-hmm. uh, and and you won't notice him so you might th- there's probably still enough value there to package with something else to get a defenseman but if not, what's Jake Vertanen in the NHL? Like, what, what is he? Can he be an oh, impact top power forward? It, it, it is so hard to watch him over the course
0: of a season because you sit there. And the key word there you you mentioned is it's frustrating. It's frustrating to watch. It's frustrating for the fans. It's frustrating for his teammates, for what he could be. Because he's a, he has every conceivable tool to be an impact player in, in the NHL. It's just that kind of shift in, shift out consistency, the commitment. I looked this up. He's had two fights in his career. And, the, and the, for the way he plays, I'm like, this, is, this isn't this is to open up a debate over the place of fighting in the game. But the way he should be playing, he should have a lot more than two fights. Three, four times a year, that's all you have to do, right? Um, it, and he just, so he kind of, you know, he kind of like, like, teases at this role of being an agitator teases at this role of being a physical player teases at being a scorer who know? you know the light might come on for him one day there's certainly been other players who matured at that 23 24 25 age group that jake's getting into now it's just they need him so badly to be that guy I mean, if he was, if he was the guy, he was the sixth overall pick in the draft, for pity's sake. That's supposed to be an impact player. If he was that guy, if he was a 25-goal Powers, for, it completely changes the equation for the Canucks. And I wrote about this, too. You know, you forget about him and you forget about Ole Yalevi, and Jake's 23 and Yalevi just turned 21. Sixth and fifth overall draft picks, right? Those should be impact players. If they're on schedule, if they're where about they should be, given where they were drafted, then. The whole conversation about this team changes. And Yalevi is still, I mean, he's an interesting one. Like I said, he's still only 21, coming off knee surgery. At a position, the Canucks really, really need some help and and some depth. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just saying it's another, no, no it's another one of these imponderables about this team. And there's just so freaking many of them. So, but once no, you that's, get past those three foundational and, and I think you can add goaltending. But to Ed, the mix that's, now. that's where
1: I find it fascinating. I mean, so far in this podcast, you've said that. Their most valuable chip to move is Vertanen, but you've also said they're, they desperately need him to step up and play for them. And I think that's the dilemma for him. And it, historically, the NHL is so different than it was in the 80s. But those of us who've been around look at it and go, well, is he Cam Neely yep. and you give up on him too soon and he's going to be an elite player somewhere else? Or is he Jim Sandlack? You hang on to him for so long, hoping that you see that promise, and it never comes. And I think that's the dilemma that the Canucks are with, and this is where it's going to take some steel balls for, yep. for, for Jim Benning. If he, if he needs that defenseman and there's someone willing to take Vertanen in order to do that, then that's a, a deal he has to make. Because I think the kid's had enough chances here, and the fact that he, he probably needs another setup in order to, to, to fulfill that promise, who knows? But maturity is a funny thing.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I agree, and, and and the the fact is, I I think when Neely was traded, he was twenty one. He had th- he drafted as an eighteen year old. He had three years here, and then he was traded. Jake's twenty three. He was taken in the twenty fourteen draft. This is you know this is five years on now. I just don't think they can afford to be uh, uh, patient with them anymore. Yeah. And if there is a deal available, and it'll probably be Vertanen+. plus. For the defenseman they want, and we're not talking about you know we're not talking about a top four guy. I mean, it would be great if if we are. I think we're just looking at an upgrade, like like a really solid number five guy who can move up to number four in injuries or on a certain night or with certain matchups. I just think I like I said I I think that's a deal they have to make, and 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 if Jake turns out you know if the light goes on and he does develop into that guy. More power to him. God bless him. But I just think where this organization is now, I'm just not sure if they can invest any more time in waiting for him and waiting for that light to go on.
1: So I know we're running a little short on time, but we got a lot to cover. So I wanted to rattle through some players quickly. Quinn Hughes. Now, you know, we we saw a a very limited window, but obviously people are excited about what they saw your thoughts on what he can bring next year
0: it's honestly I I, I wasn't surprised that's about what I envisioned Um, I think he starts next year as one of the Calder trophy favorites he'll be in a group of probably four to five guys at the start of the year at least um, I I I think we've talked about it in the past. I mean, his his skating is self-evident. The skill level is self-evident. But what impresses me the most about him is just his awareness, his hockey sense, and the fact that he was born into this thing. That he's been around the game at an elite level since he was ten, eleven years old. So he will figure it out. He under you know, there's a physical limitation there. Sure, great, whatever. He'll figure out he'll figure out a way to play around that. And he he will be he he'll, he'll be impactful, and I am so looking forward to
1: watching that power play next season. Um, I know that you wrote this, so certainly you can go and find it at theprovince.com, vancouversun.com, or you know, as Ed was referencing early going. Request a back copy of, I think it was Tuesday's paper, whatever it was, you wrote about Brock Besser. Um, we do have a number still for back issues. I think if people are interested, go to your local library. But Besser is a guy who I think, as you termed so so aptly, um, we know he's a very good player. Can he be great? And I think when going back to his debut at the end of the season, people were like, holy cow, did you see his shot? And then his first year, first certainly the first half of his first year, going to his first All Star game, being the MVP. Obviously, that injury affected him. But as you said, the difference between very good and being great. What is Brock Besser, and what do you expect from him next year?
0: Yeah, it, 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 he's a kid I'd bet on because again, I, I like his makeup and I like his approach to the game, and he's smart and he is committed. And and but but you know, adding that extra stride to your skating to improve and just that takes so much work. Like when you're at you know when you're at a high level to begin with. And just to ratchet it up that other five to eight percent, but that's really what we're talking about. I think it's pretty clear he's a 30 goal scorer. I I I I think we can say that, you know, just based on the, the body of evidence we've seen so far. But can he be the you know, a 40 goal scorer in the NHL is elite? And he's gonna get a chance playing with Patterson and he's gonna get a chance on the power play and you just think of what the the impact of the bottom line would be for a guy like Patterson a guy like Basser with Hughes running the show on the power play it it got it it finished off on a high note over the last i think it was the, like the last 10 games it, it it caught fire but there were stretches of this season where they were getting nothing out of their power play and when you're getting nothing out of your power play that means you're getting nothing out of your top guys and you can't win that way So again, it's just one of those things, you know, can he find a way, can he get like, can he maybe get a little tougher in front of the net and get a couple of the greasy goals? Can he get two or three goals off deflections? Can he get, you know, add three or four goals on the power play? There's your kind of eight to 10 goals. Right there, and that really m- moves him up to that elite status in the NHL. Now the question is, he's got a contract coming. So do you pay for do you pay for that on on that based on that projection, or do you pay? That's a, that's another one of the really interesting storylines to this offseason. Absolutely,
1: and then of course we have to talk about Elias Patterson. Um, apologies to Jordan Bennington. I think he's still probably going to win the Calder, uh, even though he tailed off probably quite har- harshly. And people who say that the media uh, are are um, too negative in this town, uh, first of all, I don't know how that's possible when you've been the worst team in hockey over four years. Um, but secondly, I don't want to say Pedersen got a free ride because I think he earned some space. But I was a little surprised there almost wasn't more furor around him so-called wearing down or hitting the wall because he was not – the same kind of player obviously in the last 20 games that we'd seen in the. See, I, I don't
0: think it was 20 games and I, I go back and I think we've talked about like that podcast right? no I, I understand that but but I, I went on that road trip to California through March no I'm sorry it was <laughs> no I'm it was late March yeah what no no it wasn't it, it, it was no it was back in April. So I'm sorry. Let me retract that. I, you know, I think that's valid. No, I was going to say what I was going to say was he wasn't scoring then, but I was still impressed with his all-around game, because he, you know, he's going, he goes into Anaheim, he goes into LA, and he goes into San Jose, and he had, I think he had points in those games. He he actually had a goal, but. When I thought of him, you know, going in and Anaheim, and he's playing against Getzlav, and then the next night he's in L.A. and he's playing against Kopitar, and then the next night against San Jose, and he's still driving the play and still competing. Now, absolutely, I think from mid March on, something happened there. He just didn't have the energy. He just didn't have the same kind of, you know, physical presence that he had early on. But as you said, he built up an awful lot of goodwill over those first 40, 50 games. And, you know, considering 20-year-old kid, considering his first year in the NHL, considering that he's in uncharted territories on so many different levels, whether it's the amount of game, whether it's the level of competition, whether it's the expectation or the simple fact that he's drawing the top matchups every night, I, I am willing to. I, I I agree. Probably got a bit of a pass, but right. this market is also so desperate for. I don't think we needed to dissect it that harshly.
1: Yeah. No. I think you know when people do say the media here is negative. I I do look at it and say they've actually yeah. been pretty positive when okay. they see guys like Besser and Pedersen. I've given that a Quint lot used. of thought.
0: Can we end on this? It isn't the media that's negative. It's Twitter. Well, for sure. A- absolutely. A- and people conflate the two and and they're two entirely different things the, the media here is I, I'm sorry it's first of all it's like you, we all know what's happened to the media in general it's been cut to the bone so there's not that many voices and there's a couple of strong ones but that's all they are and they're in isolation they did to me people see you know again the shitstorms that arise on twitter and they, they 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 think that's like part of the deal here that that's part of the media thing and and it isn't it's it's something out there it's background noise it can be entertaining it can be infuriating it can be a lot of things i'm just not sure how relevant it is in the in, in the big picture
1: no i i think more though um i think people in this market have been and yes there's snarky and a lot of it is fed by social media and that's interactions with the the real media, if you want to call them that, I do think people will give credit when credits due them. When the Branson deal came along, I think people generally have gone, yeah, well done. That was a good move by Benning. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't given away anything stupid in order. I mean, people will quibble about the number of draft picks, right? But oh, I think when something good, when something here warrants some praise, I think it happens. And certainly with the players, and that's where I, that's kind of where I was going with Pedersen. He certainly earned it. But I think in other markets and in other sports, you would have seen seen a guy like if Aaron Judge goes the last 30 games of a season, and he's almost trying too hard because he's gripping. New York media is going to be all over that, and I I just don't think that happened here. A couple things before we finish up. One, um, we've acknowledged that we think that the Canucks are going to be players in free agency and the draft. Um, We know they have a couple of prospects coming. We also know they have a ton of guys who are out of contract. How much change do you see on this team next year? Like, Do you see six new players? Do you see four? Do you see eight? Well, um, yeah, and I know most of that is around the fringe, but there's no, a number a great, of options here. Yeah, for Yeah, no,
0: it's it's a great question, and it's it's really hard to quantify because, like I I said earlier, there's just so much clutter there, and when you start like sketching out a depth chart, and I, I did it just as an exercise, the team I would like to see, and then I start looking at who who this doesn't account for, and and it's names like Brandon Sutter. It's names like Tim Schaller, who you know are under contract for next year, and in in Sutter's case, for pretty big cake. Schaller less, so so he's got you know one year left. What do they do with Marcus Granlund? I th- I think there's I, I think there's a fatigue level for those level of players, those kind of like neer do well veterans that this that this market has watched for the last three years, and, and I just don't think they can sell another year year of that. I don't. So you know, e- assuming they do land that top six guy. That kind of changes now. You've got you've got you've got a whole season of Pearson and Levo, and you've got this guy. So there's three spots right there. If they trade for a defenseman, that's four. Um, is there anybody else who I I don't see any of the prospects being ready to make a move next year? Uh, so you, you the, well, the, do
1: you see Yoel Levy here, or do you see him no, starting no, in no, Utica? No, He starts
0: in Utica, and again, you know that that's why that January first date is so interesting for me. Even if he me. comes in a and looks strong. Oh, yeah, if he does. I just don't see coming off a knee injury. And after having played 11 games the year before, I mean, I I guess it could happen. I I I just don't see it. And I thought it was interesting, you know, Benning talking about, you know, had this season unfolded, he would have been up here for the second half of the season. Because that, that was the way he started in Utica, and obviously they wanted you know he's gym, just had a lot of gym, time in
1: Utica, and if to he me hasn't
0: it, though, he hasn't. I know the, there's been a lot of games there, but you know he's either injured or something happens. That that, that, that no, it's that that's that that's just it. So he's going to need some see in my opinion, he's yeah. going to need some seasoning, and then we'll see again the second half of the season if he's ready. So I you know if you held a gun to my head, I would probably say five new
1: players. Um, Just in the past when we've we've had the Young Stars tournament, which isn't there going forward, but you would see uh, the the Canucks main roster has been so bereft of of talent. You would get these grand statements like, you know, anyone who has a strong showing here and into training camp, there will be a spot for them if they earn it. Does it still seem a bridge too far for guys like Lind or Gadjevich yes. or Wu? Yeah, like hundred percent. We're still like a year or yeah. half a year at least away from any of that infusion.
0: Yeah, that's right. There's a, there, there is a group of about six to eight, and then then they are intriguing. And I think at the high end, it's Jet Wu and and Tyler Madden, and then I I'm, I'm sorry, but bo- both 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 Lind and, and Gadjevich I think the best thing you can say is they plateaued this year, didn't show a lot of improvement, and at that age, that's that's worrisome. But they still remain, you know, prospects. Are they suspects or prospects? I guess that will out. But the Canucks have a lot of guys there uh, that fit into that category, like Lockwood, the defenseman from Harvard, Rathbone. Um, maybe one. Maybe they get lucky on a couple of them. And really, they're at the stage now where that's really all they need is a couple of those guys to pop. Uh, given what they already have, it won't be next year. But again, you know, maybe the second half of the season, and then you know, 2021. I think then we'll have a you know a clear idea of what they have with a lot of these kids.
1: Now we have to wrap up, but I did want to ask you just quick thoughts on on playoffs. I mean, I think that Leafs bruin series is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. yep, um, Obviously, Tampa looks like they're the class team to beat. I'm really intrigued by Vegas in the West. Puzzled by San Jose. Uh, Love to see the Jets go in a long run. What's your thoughts of uh, quick hits going into the playoffs?
0: Well, it's – I think you could make a case for – there's 16 teams in the playoff. I think you could make a case for 10 to 12 of them winning the Stanley Cup. And I'm just – I'm kind of arbitrarily throwing out the wild card teams, but virtually everybody else. There's some really good teams. I mean, I like Nashville. I got. i, I probably because I have a blind spot for them, but can you really say, you know, they're the class of the West or they head and shoulders above Calgary, above Las Vegas, above San Jose? And you look at the other side, it's the same thing. I mean, Columbus sneaks in at the eighth spot. Look at the fricking lineup they've got. That is a really good team. So I, I, I don't think there'll be crazy upsets, um, although I'm really curious about Calgary, spoiler alert, I kind of did a little switch to Colorado in in in, in the playoff draft last year. I think that I think there is uh potential there for an upset. I wouldn't call Toronto beating Boston. It's, it's a minor upset, but it's not an earth sh- sh- shaking one.
1: No, it isn't, but Boston have been like um, on this amazing run yeah, the second half of the season and it's funny the least I was talking to Mike Tracos, our, our national writer, and he was saying like people are way more excited for the Raptors, people think the Leafs are done because they've known they've been playing the Bruins for so long and they have that wonderful history, recent history with the Bruins.
0: And, and that's why I think the Leafs are capable of winning this
1: series would be because,
0: great. because for the first time they don't have like the weight of the entire GTA on their on, on their shoulders. And, again, I look at the two lineups, and, I know, you know, full credit for Boston. You know, their record speaks for itself. I just look at that Leafs lineup, and, boy, if they ever get it, you know, like all concentrated and moving together in the same speed uh, going ahead, they're going to be a handful in these playoffs. No,
1: absolutely. Goaltending is well, very important, too. That's what I hear, and, you know, we'll get into it more. We're going to continue to do these, but that's, that's what kills me about Calgary is uh, best team in the West all year. Everyone's been expecting them to slip. And everyone keeps going. I don't think they have the goaltending to do in the playoffs. I don't know. If they, they they. I don't think they have the goaltending to stay in first place. I don't think they have the goaltending to get in the playoffs. Like all the way through, that has been the question mark about Calgary. So it is important, and we'll see how that goes. But thanks for joining us, Ed. Uh, as ever, you can subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating if you like it. Um, and I'll just give you another reminder for our friends over at Children's Hospital. You can join Vancouver Canuck and Genes Day Ambassador Brock Besser in supporting BC Children's Hospital. Please buy a button and gene up in support of BC Kids on Thursday, May the 2nd. And you can get more information on that at jeansday.ca. So thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for downloading. We'll be back next week.